Hey, this is Amy, and for our final season one extra, I want to take you back to last April. Ryan Zinke had held the position of Secretary of the Interior for about six weeks when he announced that the lands of the National Bison Range would not be transferred back to the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes. This was something we explored in depth in episode five of season one, so I was eager to find out how this news was landing with people on the reservation. I talked to Vernon Finley, chairman of the CSKT on Skype, and he sort of surprised me. You know, uh, there are many folks who feel like restoring and returning that land to the tribe is the right thing to do. And we agree with that. But, you know, we understand the complex issues and the the processes that we go through in order to get there. So the steps that happen in between now and then, you know, we will will take the, the victories and the setbacks and continue to move forward. You sound kind of uh, maybe less upset about this than I might have expected. And I don't know if that's just because you're good at uh, not conveying a lot of strong emotion or if there is a way that maybe you're like not terribly surprised and just kind of willing to ride this wave. Um, Can you help me understand where you're at on that? (laughs) Well, you know, 18,000 acres in the middle of the reservation that is no longer reservation land, is no longer tribal land. And then uh, a proposal comes forward that would restore that back to the tribe. Um, Of course, I'd be in favor of and excited about that possibility. But throughout the history of Native Americans and the United States government, There is little that could happen that really should surprise to the point of disappointment. Whatever happens, we will adjust to and move forward and we'll always be here. I think Vernon's response is really interesting in its mixture of stoicism and hope. On the one hand, he's saying, what is surprising about the United States government reneging on an agreement with a Native American tribe? But I also hear him saying, we're not giving up. We're playing the long game here. This extra is gonna show up in your podcast feed on the longest day of the year up here in the Northern Hemisphere, the winter solstice. I love this day. I love picturing the Earth as an actual object floating around in space with the North Pole tipped away from the sun. And I also like what the solstice evokes, reflection and perseverance. This is the darkest hour, a time to look inward and figure out what we're made of. And in that spirit, I want to introduce you to Carrie Taggart. She lives on the west side of Yellowstone National Park, and she's one of the many really interesting people I interviewed for season one that we couldn't fit into the show. Whether or not you agree with her opinions on bison, I think she too has something to say about perseverance, about the power of sticking with something, even when the odds don't look good. To help you make sense of what you're about to hear, you should know that I produced this last winter, thinking it might become the second half of the episode that featured Druska Kinky, the cattle rancher who lives north of Yellowstone. So you'll hear me reference that episode a couple of times. 
Welcome back to Threshold. I'm Amy Martin, and I'm sitting next to Carrie Taggart in her huge pickup truck, getting a tour of her neighborhood. It's a peninsula called Horse Butte Peninsula. It is about 10 miles northwest of West Yellowstone, Montana, which is right at the west gate of Yellowstone National Park. Um, and Horse Butte has been an area where bison migrate from the park for spring calving, my favorite time of the year. Horse Butte is a hooked finger of land that extends out into Hebgen Lake. It's January and the lake is frozen, so it just looks like a big white field with a small collection of houses planted on the edge of it. A puffy blanket of snow covers everything, the road we're driving on, the thick stands of pine trees, and the meadows sparkling in the sun. So the bison all hang out right in here, all this open area, they love it. There were no bison around the day I was there, but Carrie pointed out some of their favorite haunts. And bison love Ed's yard, he was one that stopped by this morning. <laughs> And um, actually, you see where those the fox trail is going up the hills there. That the bison just go right back up there. It's almost like they that's where they go at night to go to bed. So those are fox trails. I think they're fox or coyote. Carrie moved to Montana from Utah in 2002. Best thing I ever did. Financially, it's been hard, but everything else far outweighs it. She works as a teacher's aide in the local elementary school, and in the summers, she sometimes waits tables or cleans houses to make ends meet. Like Dreska, who we met in the first half of this episode, Carrie is a can-do kind of person. Horse Butte was a big change from Salt Lake City, but she wasn't daunted. I've learned how to use a chainsaw. I've learned how to use an axe. I've learned all kinds of things. And it was just kind of that jump in and do it. And she also learned how to live with wild bison, and much to her surprise, how to fight for them. She didn't ask for or expect this fight. It came to her when bison started showing up in her neighborhood shortly after she moved in. The cows come into calf, and they'll eventually make their way into the neighborhood here. Basically right out your front door. Pretty much, yeah. Just to make sure you're not confused, when Carrie says cows, she means female bison, not, you know, cows. In our last episode, we talked about the shape the bison are in at the end of the winter. They're hungry and weak. And it's at this point that the females have to undergo the most energy-intensive endeavor of the year, giving birth and making milk for their babies. That's when they start heading out to Horse Butte, 10 miles away from the park boundary. They do like coming out when it starts to thaw because the south-facing slope of the butte on the other side of the trees there, that's where it gets all that warm sun, so it melts quicker. And so that's where that first grass is. And it's so fun to see on a regular basis, you start seeing their routine. So here's Carrie, newly arrived, watching all of this play out. She sees these female buffalo arriving in her neighborhood, looking pretty bedraggled. Then a few days or a few weeks later, she sees the little red calves up on their shaky legs and ready to roam within a half an hour of leaving the womb. It was a wild buffalo drama, and she was one of the only Americans to have a front row seat. She absolutely loved it. What she didn't love was the human drama that came with it. Because, as she soon found out, the herds of bison brought herds of government officials. Department of Livestock, Forest Service, Park Service, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, um, several sheriffs. It, it was just a three-ring circus. You'd look out the, the window and they'd all one truck right after the next. Another quick reminder of something we talked about last time, the settlement of the lawsuit between the state of Montana and the Park Service, which dictated that bison leaving Yellowstone would either be hazed back into the park or rounded up and slaughtered. But hazing is one of those squirrely kinds of words that can mean a lot of different things. 
and Carrie did not like what it meant on Horse Butte. They are pushing them, and they are pushing them hard. Agents on snowmobiles, ATVs, horseback, helicopters, they were running these animals, sometimes with the babies who were hours old. It was nonstop. So she started asking questions. Why were these buffaloes so controversial? Why was her neighborhood feeling like a war zone? And why were all of these officials allowed onto her property without her permission? And the more educated I became about it, the more angry I got, so then the more passionate I got. (laughs) Isn't that goofy? For the first time in her life, Carrie became an activist. This was not a role she was comfortable with. I mean, I came up here for quiet, and I started getting to know people more, and that's for an introvert, that's quite a, <laughs> that's a feat in itself. Some activists are prone to using military language. They think of themselves as warriors going to battle. But Carrie describes her process using the language of cooking, specifically cooking processed meats. I'd never been politically interested at all in anything political. And it was just like when you pull the, the thread on your hem and it just kind of gets longer and longer and you start learning more and more and you start thinking, oh, wait a minute. I was outraged. You've got blood all over the snow and that, and it was, it's just, it was hard. It really affects your state of mind. So Carrie began talking to her neighbors and she discovered that most of them felt the same way. They didn't like how the animals or their neighborhood were being treated. The state of Montana had sued under the assumption that bison were the threat to private property. But on Horse Butte, they were fine with the buffalo. They wanted to keep the government off their lawns. So I just organized a neighborhood potluck. Boy, those work. That was really good. Everybody met here. There were 15 of us. Someone at the meeting said the situation of the Yellowstone bison was attracting attention in other places. They said, well, you know, this is becoming a, a horse butte as a flashpoint. And a lot of us didn't know that. So they decided somebody had to be available to answer questions. Nobody raised their hand. And so I'm thinking, okay, great, I will. But I didn't know at the time what I was getting into. I had no idea. And as word got out, newspapers around the country and even around the world ran variations of the same emotionally charged headline, Yellowstone Bison Slaughtered. And Carrie's phone started ringing off the hook. Um, I've had reporters from Washington, Japan, Argentina, and then I've talked with state senators from different states and our own here, and like I said, I had no idea. Um, so so you were looking for this, like, get away from it all life, and then suddenly you're, it sounds like you're more in the spotlight than you maybe ever have been. Is oh, that, yeah. How and, did that feel? I, I, you know, even now, it's it, it was awkward. I... I wasn't comfortable with it, but I knew it had to be done. Meanwhile, Carrie and her neighbors had more potlucks, read more scientific reports, brought in biologists and hunters and wildlife experts. They were trying to educate themselves, and at a certain point, they decided they knew enough to take a quintessentially American action. They petitioned their government. We decided we would just put a, get a little letter together, and so I walked around and just got signatures. The letter was just one short paragraph, saying they wanted the hazing and slaughter of bison on Horse Butte to stop. I think there were 65 signatures, and at that time, that was the whole butte. They sent the letter to Montana Governor Judy Martz, and they didn't get much of a response. So they wrote to other government officials and sent letters to the editors of newspapers, 
and whenever she could, Carrie attended meetings where the treatment of the bison was being discussed. And slowly, over the years, things started to shift. We started seeing changes in the way they were uh, addressing the animals. They didn't haze as often or as harshly. Um, They still do some hazing. It's just not what it used to be. I don't like it. I would like to see it stop because we've got hundreds of thousands of public lands that these animals could be on. Um, And I will still voice that. But it has changed. And then in December of 2015, three governors and 13 years since she first got involved, Carrie got some great news. Montana Governor Steve Bullock announced that bison would be allowed to roam free on Horse Butte. The cows would be allowed to give birth and linger as long as they wanted, undisturbed. It was the closest thing to a ta-da moment in more than a decade of work on this issue. And I met Carrie less than a month after this announcement was made. So I asked her if she was feeling victorious, like she'd won. Yes, I am happy about it. I was, I just couldn't believe it. I've got probably seven copies of the paper. But I, I don't want this to be a win or lose. I want to be happy. I don't want to be right. I just want to see it, fairness be played out. So here are some things to know about Horse Butte. It's not that big. It's not like all of the Yellowstone bison can happily hide out there all winter. And even if they could, they don't want to. The entire Yellowstone herd doesn't move as one unit. They separate into subgroups, and only a portion of them head in Carrie's direction. So opening up Horse Butte is not the golden ticket that solves everything here. Yellowstone bison will continue to wander off of federal land into places where they're not protected. But the governor's decision is still an important step in at least two ways. First, it's a recognition that some Montanans do want bison to be able to move freely in and out of the park, just like every other wild animal is allowed to do. And it provides a chance to test this question of whether or not people can live with free roaming buffalo. And that's a test that Carrie is more than ready to take. Do you think there could be a future where people can live successfully with wild bison? Oh, yes. It all boils down to the personal responsibility of the individual. It really does. It's up to us to say, okay, well, how are we going to do this? How does it work to coexist with these creatures? What's great about it? What sucks about it? How much do we need to manage them? And what are the best tools for those jobs? This is an opportunity to take bison questions out of an ideological realm and into a practical one. We are kind of in an experiment. And I think those in Gardner probably are too, to a point. You're kind of guinea pigs. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. The sample size for this experiment is very small. The few hundred people on Horse Butte, plus the 2,000 or so people of Gardner and West Yellowstone combined. These are the first Americans in over a century to coexist with wild bison. You're in a really remarkable position. You know, how these experiments of living with wild bison play out over the next 5 to 25 years could determine the fate of this species for for the whole country. Does that feel like a lot of pressure? Well, now it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The way I framed that was probably a little intense, but there's truth in it too. 
The people of Horse Butte have been given a very rare opportunity and responsibility to help the rest of us figure out just how possible or impossible it might be to live with this enormous animal in modern society. I guess the question is, does that feel like a privilege or a burden? If you, me, it's a privilege. I'm just feeling, I just feel really, really lucky and blessed. Um, They have taught me humility. Um, Being with them, it's taught me that I am just a speck. There's just so many things that it's changed, and I've learned and grown so much that I can't even, it's almost overwhelming that I don't, I don't even have the right words. I'm, I'm so blessed. Um, it goes back to the bison and that wildness. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, it has, it is my life. (sighs) Wow. Well, it's a good life and it's a learning one and I'm, I'm blessed. It's Amy again back here in the present moment, and I'm actually really glad that Carrie and Vernon ended up here in the same extra together on the solstice, because it strikes me that their approach might be part of what gets us through the dark times. It's really appealing to imagine change in big cinematic terms, the charismatic leader, the one pivotal moment when everything shifts. But there's a notable lack of grandiosity in how Carrie and Vernon talk and how they think. They just keep going step by step, celebrating small victories along the way and interpreting setbacks as temporary obstacles rather than permanent roadblocks. There's something really bison-y about this, actually. I mean, a hundred years ago, no one would have predicted that we would have as many wild buffalo as we do today. So who knows what the future will bring? When it comes to the American bison, if we've learned anything, it's that this creature does not give up. I had no idea when I started this show if anyone besides me would want to hear this kind of long-form, in-depth storytelling about the natural world. To know that we now have listeners in all 50 states and in countries around the world, it kind of blows me away. We're hard at work on season two, and we're so excited to bring you a whole host of new stories from the Arctic. So thank you so very much for listening, subscribing, for talking us up among your friends, and special thanks to all of our donors. Our whole model here is resting on this incredibly optimistic belief that if we do our very best to tell important stories in a compelling way, people will be moved to support it. It's kind of nuts. We put a ton of effort into crafting this, and then we give it away for free, hoping that a portion of you will assign a value to it. And you know what's amazing? You are proving that optimism right. You're listening and subscribing and donating. A few weeks ago, we asked for 10 more people to make a monthly gift on Patreon, and as of today, we only need one more person to meet that goal. And a bunch of people have also given year-end tax-deductible gifts as well. This is how Threshold is going to grow and be sustained into the future, 
because of you. If you want to see all the options for how you can join the effort to keep this show going, go to thresholdpodcast.org slash support. And thank you. The music of Travis Yost has been such a pleasure to work with for this whole first season of our show. I want to let him have the last word. This is the Buffalo Suite, composed by Travis Yost for Threshold. Happy Solstice.